Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It's a drunken soiree in the within. Chris and Stu present Hardcore Listing, the podcast. Hello and welcome to Hardcore Listing Podcast. I'm one half of your presenting Joe. I'm Stu Whiffin, sitting opposite me via the means of uh, Zoom Media. Uh, is Christopher William Blasson. I hadn't finished yet. I was, I was, still, I was, I was actually going to big you up then. <laughs> you was not going to big me up. No, you've, already told, you've already told me that you've got things you want to tear into me about this morning. So, so like, I mean, obviously we've, we've, we've long discussed your, uh, you know, your, your love of Warhammer uh, <laughs> and, 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 you know, some of your more quirky, uh, nerdy things. Um, I'm sure to do- today's top five is going to bring out my inner nerd. So, yeah, so don't, absolutely. don't stress too much, but, um, You've upgraded from um, a pair of headphones to, well, it looks like you're either doing telesales or gaming. (laughs) (laughs) Is that your gaming headset? It's not my gaming headset, mate. I think some of the patrons have seen me sat with the gaming headset on with like chocolate cookies dribbling through my beard. (laughs) Uh, This is is like um, sometimes a work headset because I've been running around the house trying to find my headset this morning and uh, I couldn't find it frustratingly. So, um, Oh, you look like a proper big deal with that. You look well important. (laughs) Hold on, I've got someone on the other line, mate. Just <laughs> if you had a little bit of like maybe like a high vis, like uh kind of sort of body warmer, big bunch <laughs> of keys, like I think you'd be looking well important then. Oh mate, I can only dream of it. Instead I look, well, I brush my brush my hair with a toffee apple as usual as usual this morning. <laughs> so yeah. Well, um, for those that um, are first-time listeners to Hardcore Listing, uh, I'll explain a little bit about how this podcast works. We've been doing this for four years now, and what it is is we get guests on. Sometimes we don't have guests, it's just Chris and I, uh, and, and what we do is we we pick a topic, and within that top uh, that, that topic, we, we go through a top five uh, and count down. Um, you know, you're five faves within that topic. And uh, and I'm pleased to say we've got a guest today. Chris, would you like to introduce today's guest? Yes, we have JP from Walden Parker, the band. Also a, a session musician, double bass, I believe, for a number of folk artists. And previously member of Nislopoli, who you might remember doing the, the JCB song back in the day. Um, <laughs> hey, JP, welcome. Hey, Chris, hey, Stu, how you doing? We're good. All good, you, mate. mate. All good. Thanks for your time. Good. I think your hair looks great, even though you've brought it with a toffee. I, mean, I, I don't have any hair, hence the hat. So, you know. 
I mean, I, I'm I'm cruising towards that, mate. So so uh, don't worry. I, I think my friend always sends me pictures of razor blades and just with the caption, "Do the right thing." So, <laughs> so, yeah. That could be interpreted so many different ways. <laughs> <laughs> if it was Stuart, I'd certainly interpret it a different way. And um, you've had to put up with our level of abuse anyway. Oh, but dear. you're a good friend of my um, girl. I nearly said wife there. Go on, give her, Ooh, give her, give her idea, <laughs> ideas above her station. Um, but Molly, and she always speaks really fondly of you, mate. Um, she's already told me that don't forget to invite JP down to Margate. So uh, that invite is always open. And um, JP, I mean, recently, myself and you have have got some similarities in in what some of the things we faced over the last five to 10 years, I believe. Mm -hmm. And that's actually linked into um, you're you're running the virtual uh, London Marathon soon uh, to raise money for, is it Myton Hospice? Myton Hospice, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And and what was the reason for that, JP? How come you've done that? Uh, basically, about seven years ago, my mum, Catherine, was uh, diagnosed with vascular dementia. And um, and I suppose the last four years I've been her carer at home and um, obviously pretty much full on for the last few years. And she passed away in February. But before she sort of passed away, the end of life care, because you're so used to just doing everything, um, I didn't even think that actually people can come in and actually make that whole process, even just the physical lifting somebody, that sort of stuff, just so much easier. And Martin Hospice, which is a local charity to Warwick and Leamington, where I live, they were just amazing. They were just, they just came in, they were just lighthearted. They talked to my mum as if she was aware, you know, just, I learned so much in that short period with them. <laughs> I wish I'd learned years ago, um, might have been a bit better care <laughs> but um yeah so i i promised my mum i would do something um before she died and i was like well i'm going to look after the garden which i failed to do and i said i'd run the london virtual london marathon which i am in the process of training to do yeah on october the 3rd how far have you uh, run so far <clears throat> uh in one go you mean or <laughs> yeah like, like kind currently of <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. throughout your life um <laughs> and uh, no i just like you know are you you don't necessarily run the full marathon ahead of your training well whilst training do you it's normally sort of 18 20 miles am i right yeah yeah absolutely i think i think partly to deal with the loss of my mum i kind of embraced running at quite a full-on I don't really do things in small levels. So I was running 60 miles a week for quite a lot of weeks. Wow. So um, so I've done a few 20 miles. I think the difficulty is I'm doing it on my own. So just carrying the right amount of fuel and food and drink and all that sort of stuff is hard. So I've definitely got it wrong. I, I've got a canal here. So there are a lot of boat owners that have had me stumbling on their boat going, I need something. I don't know where I am. Help. So, um, so yeah, so, so that's the challenge of really doing it on my own, but yeah, I've got a 20 mile race in Milton Keynes tomorrow. So that'll give wow. me a, a good, yeah, and then, then it tapers down, and I'm actually going to do the taper down, so yeah. I'll run less. So, so, so where does the vir- where, how do you do the virtual one? Have you got to go onto a treadmill to do this, or is it just you just set out a um, your own personal sort of run that's 26 miles and, and achieve that on the same yeah. time as everyone else? 
Yeah, you kind of track it. I think I'll probably use Strava. I think London Marathon do send you something as well. But yeah, you've got to obviously prove you've done it and prove you've run it. I suppose you could just take your bike or sit in your car and drive very slowly. Um, But yeah, and, and at first I just didn't know where I'd be because I'm a session musician. I could wake up anywhere and I still next day have to run the 26 miles. So um, I'm doing it locally at the moment unless I'm gigging by, you know, short notice on October the 2nd. You never know. Wow. Yeah. Well, I think um, we can kind of uh, put a tenuous link into uh, this talk of gigging into your top five uh, that you are choosing today. But yes, let's let's pause that tenuous link because we haven't yet had a, a warning from our sponsors. I mean, message from our sponsors. Uh, hello, this is uh, Charles, um, Chaz from Love Beer, uh, and, and I'm here to tell you about why I sponsor uh, Hardcore Listing and what, what love-beer.co.uk does. Uh, I am a fully certified by the British Beer and Pubs Association for bar installation with a focus on home and office bars. I have loads of home bar clients who have really enjoyed the service during lockdown as well as corporate office clients like Facebook and HelloFresh. I offer a complete solution from installing the bar equipment right the way through to keg supply. I also offer regular maintenance packages for those who want a bar without all the hassle. Hello, this is Charles also from Love Beer. I just want to also let you know I'm fully licensed to sell kegs. We can supply loads of different products from mainstream beers and ciders right through to trendy craft beers and even Prosecco kegs, all delivered to your bar by a certified technician. Also, why I'm here, have I mentioned the Land Rover Beeries 3, which is a 45-year-old XMOD Land Rover Series 3 that we have done a complete restoration on during lockdown. The 3 Beeries 3 is a custom-built, high-performance bar hidden in the back of a Land Rover. The bar we have installed is capable of doing upwards of 500 pints per hour. We're about four to five weeks off having it all back together and ready to show it off. And I'll be launching an Instagram for it this week. Nice one, Charles. Nice one. Hello, I want to take a moment to shout out one of our wicked sponsors, eggfried.com. They are a streetwear brand. They produce t-shirts, sweats, hoodies, handmade denims. It's all inspired by hip-hop, punk, choir fashion. It's really cool. Yeah, it's really cool. I mean, head over to eggfried.com and and have a look on the website because it's not just the design, it's the layout, it's the website. You know, the creative team over there are absolutely on point. There's just some, some great stuff there. And and not just for adults as well. They've got Small Fried, which is their range of kids' <laughs> clothes. And if you want your kid to just look beyond cool, like head over and check that out. And they've given us a discount code, right, Chris? Yes, Egg Salad. If you type Egg Salad into the discount coupon section, you get yourself a tidy little discount. And when they send out the stuff, it is packaged exquisitely. You get little goodies in there, stickers, and it's all wrapped up beautifully. So check out eggfried.com. Okay, lastly, we want to thank, and certainly not leastly, we want to thank, is leastly a word? (laughs) No, it's really not. Right, we're going with it. (laughs) We're going with it. 
So we want to thank Luke Van Boom. Luke Van Boom has a company called Bang Boom Creative. Luke is a, a long-time sponsor of this show and a friend of this show. If you see the pictures of Chris and I on the socials advertising this podcast... Them happy snaps were taken uh, by the genius that is Luke Van Boom. I mean, that's just the tip of, of, of what he does. Chris, do you want to explain a little bit more about what Bang Boom Creative does? Yes, it's all about fresh, innovative production. So they're all about content with a heart and soul, making films of all kinds, shooting dynamic photographs and putting smiles on faces. They're passionate storytellers, working with a diverse range of brands of all sizes. You know, Their work includes short film, viral video, animation, hidden camera stunts, product demos, live action, 360 imaging, and music promo. And they've worked with a ton of companies as well. Universal, uh, BBC Children in Need, even the Mayor of London, Katie Piper, the NHS, the Dogs Trust. They've, they've worked with a lot of companies. It's, it consistently blows my mind, you know, the stuff that you've just said there. Why does he have anything to do with us plums? Stop talking him out of it. Right. <laughs> Okay, back there. Thank you very much, our wonderful sponsors. Um, we, she did go to do a, a nice segue before I slipped in the sponsors message there into uh, JP's top five today. So what's your top five, mate? I really struggled with this. I was like top five, and then I came up with really inappropriate things like girlfriends, and yeah, and then I was like, I can't do that. <laughs> no, um, because that would be terrible. No, I wouldn't appear on any top five. Boy would that have there. been in like a high-fidelity style or... Well, yeah, that's a or good was you was you literally just ranking your girlfriends? <laughs> I think I was going to rank them, and then uh, this is personality yeah. eight. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a little bit like those those trump cards that you get when and my my nephews love. So you're like, yeah, strength, ability, and you know. Anyway, I'm going to stop. Stop there. <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, so I apologise. Um, so yeah, so I went with. Um, uh, my top five which is my inspirational kind of favorite inspirational gigs gigs I've been to and gone oh man I still want to do music or I want to do music depending on and weirdly a lot of these come uh, years ago a lot of the gigs I chose so yeah okay is your first gig you ever went to on this list it was originally yes yeah but it's not now no <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I, I I go to a lot of gigs, it seems. And then I, I was running yesterday and I was like, oh, I haven't included that one or that one. And that was pretty good. Yeah, I mean, my first gig was status quo when I was about 11, a free gig in Birmingham. And honestly, it's one of those things where you just see something and you go, I mean, I've never heard anything so loud in my life. I mean, it's not the coolest gig in the world, but it's like, they were great. They were really good. <laughs> And I was like, I want to do that. I want to do that. I'm, you know, I want that hair now more than anything else. I think I, um... like your, your first gig is cool regardless of what you're doing. I, I remember going to see my first live band and uh, I think it was at the Brush Stew, actually. Right. So it's at the place that Stu um, has been a promoter for for the last um, 50, 60 years. And, um, and I remember on the sound check, someone was just doing the kick drum. And I was already nodding my head, and my friends were like, "Chris, that's not the uh, that's not the band starting." I was like, oh, "Okay, okay." So, <laughs> See, so, so like overwhelmed by the whole thing, I was so excited. You 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 should that would have made the drummer's day because <clears throat> when you watch drummer Sandcheck, I don't know if you, you you're going to agree with this, um, JP, but um, certainly in the bands that I, I've been in over the years, like when a drummer gets attention 
on just him and they'll go floor Tom snare and they're just waiting. They're just waiting for that moment. Floor Tom, they're just waiting. Hulk it, please. And that is the money <laughs> shot for the drummer. He is in fucking heaven. He just gets about 30 seconds of all eyes on him. No other band member playing, just the drummer. Oh, our old drummer was just shocking for it. Literally, the, the engineer would be like, um, <clears throat> Floor Tom, and one of us would go, Hulk it, please. And he'd just go before he'd even switches <laughs> any other drums. <laughs> just the role engineer. Oh, yeah. I'll digress. I'll digress. Sorry. Sorry. But well, I did. Drummers don't often know when to stop to do that either. I've, I've done lots of tours where drummers do that and they've had their moment in the sun and you go, okay, you can go back in your box now. And they're still sitting there going, what's, what's the bass sound check now? Yeah, but you know, you want some drums when you play. <laughs> no, I don't actually. <laughs> they're a special breed. Oh dear. So, okay, well, what's number five then, JP? Number five is uh, Spearhead, uh, Michael Franti's Spearhead. Um, wow. So my old band, the Zoppy Plet, got the place to play Lowlands in the Netherlands in, what was it, 2006. And weirdly, I believe we were on just before them or just after them. I, all I remember was thinking, oh, my God. <laughs> they were amazing. It was like, I'd never seen a band so big do and sound so kind of funk groove based like it was really it was it was a special gig and so am i right in saying michael franti was disposable heroes of hypocrisy before spearhead wasn't he that's right yeah 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 yeah, yeah he's he was he's awesome honestly he could he could lead a revolution you just you look at him and go i'm going with him he's cool. <laughs> and the whole audience were like that it was just pogoing the whole set even in the ballads people were still bouncing up and down but like your drum soundtrack you know <laughs> How does it feel for you, um, you know, when when all of a sudden uh, the band, you know, the band museum was getting, you know, huge commercial success and and you was finding yourselves on bills, you know, playing with with, with people that, you know, you you was, uh, you know, as a theme of this, this podcast is inspired by, mm-hmm. you know, did you ever have, did you ever have imposter syndrome? Like when you was on, you know, walking into these kind of arenas and stuff and thinking, oh, blimey, look, there's blah, blah, blah over there. We're playing with them. Like, you know, how, how was that for you as an experience? Uh, imposter syndrome. You know what? I didn't. I think I think mainly just because it's I really chose this kind of success I knew would be kind of short lived. So I kind of really chose to just fully embrace it. Just, you know, like feel a little bit like the Red Hot Chili Peppers every time you get up on a big stage because you, kn- you knew that you weren't going to be on these big stages forever. And it's so loud and it's so like, oh, my God, this is so much fun. This is their lives all the time and I get to do it once. I'm going to go for it. Um, and it is also like inspiring to see how these big bands, a lot, like Michael Franti Spearhead, they, they just tour and tour and tour every night for years on end and just you know, when you see like a positive band that sound amazing and they all get on, they're like, it's, it's a good team of people. And that, that just, that's the perfect uh, touring life, you know, where you, you look on stage and they look happy, but from the side of the stage, they are genuinely like really pleased to be there. Yeah. I have a calm and consistency with it. Cause if you, if you're going to tour for that long, you need that, don't you? With your, with your band members, I guess. Absolutely. And as a session musician, quite often you're coming in as a kind of new guy and you're seeing all the dynamics and going, oh, right, okay, what's this? 
What's this like on a year tour? <laughs> I, I guess you, I guess you could do a top five of that if you, if if you dared, uh, <laughs> about all the bands and the, uh, that you've done sessions for. But I guess so. I guess there be, could be quite a lot of conflicting artistic directions on music and stuff, and you have to kind of maybe sit there and wait out the, the 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 conversations on where they want to go with it before you record. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think also sometimes you just, you, you know, certainly in the pop world, you you meet session musicians who they're, they're kind of living the dream, but it's also perhaps not the dream that they thought it was going to be. And they're there drumming behind some big pop star. No one knows who they are. They probably didn't even get to sound check their own drums, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the bit that hurts <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> so uh shall we have a little we'll have another one let's have another one of your gigs and then we'll we'll, we'll explore a, a bit more about the runs and, and the charity as well jp so what's your fourth uh gig most memorable my fourth gig is uh, they're a guilty pleasure i don't know why they're a guilty pleasure but they actually are they're a heavy metal band called metallica which is a famous <laughs> band heard of, heard of them i wouldn't have heard of them but yeah right. okay yeah they're quite they've yeah they've sold a few records um i saw them i've seen them a lot <laughs> but i saw them at milton Keynes bowl i think in 93 so a long time ago and i just i just loved it i mean i didn't like the bass solo or the drum solo very much but it just yeah at that age i just wanted to be in a heavy metal band i even had the hair and was like I'm fully signed up. I can't really play, but that doesn't really matter. And um, um, they were just great. And then every time they tour, I like disappear around the time that they're playing anywhere near me. I don't tell anyone where I'm going, and then just end up in a mosh pit. It's just yeah, amazing. Amazing. What is it about like? I mean, because in '93, in regards to guitar music there was a hell of a lot going on, you know, a hell of a lot. You know, you, you're looking at the stuff that was coming from the States, aside from Metallica, you know, was dominating, you know, the, the sort of music that was, you know, guitar music. Um, and I, I always found it really strange. I, I like, I've always struggled with Metallica. Right. Like, um, I, I think I struggle with, with Hetfield. Like, um, I do think that they've made the funniest music documentaries ever made. The best, uh, the best <laughs> most accurate music documentary ever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I, when you were saying that, you know, you, you wanted to be in a band and, you, you, and you, you didn't think, you know, you could play that well at that point, when you've got bands like Nirvana playing very more straightforward kind of chords and, you know, I guess fundamentally punk, like, was you not sort of drawn to that? What, what was it? Like, was it? Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite 
of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yeah, interestingly, you're right. I mean, it's it, when you meet young, you know, teenagers now and they want to play guitar, they're wearing a Nirvana T-shirt, or Guns N' Roses T-shirt or a Metallica T-shirt. And yeah, they yeah. want to learn those records, which were all 90s guitar records. Mm. It's like... These are huge records. I mean, I was listening to REM this morning and I was like, well, I even what watched one? it. What you uh, I actually listened to Automatic uh, for the People. I watched the documentary on it. Um, there's one on YouTube. What? Yeah, yeah. I didn't realise it existed. Yeah, I think it was to celebrate 25 years. But um, Oh, yeah. wow. Uh, all four of them. Sure, it's Weekend Sorted. Uh, all four of them. Yes, I believe all four Blueberry. of them. Yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, and lots of like, because they recorded that album in so many different studios across America, across the world, in fact. Yeah. So there's lots of footage of them in the studio. And uh, yeah, it's re- it's just fu- it's an interesting record. It's really an interesting record. And obviously stands the total test of time. Amazing songwriting. It's such a complex record. I'm going to, this is me nerd now. They're my favorite band. And like, um, when... 60 seconds, Stu. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so... Um, but but to come off of um, out of time, which I, I you know is what is I think one of the greatest records ever made, to to then come back, you know at the I guess before they, well, I guess they're one of the biggest bands in the world at that point, and obviously it went even further with, with Automatic. But to then come back and release your first thing, which is Drive, which mm-hmm. is such a surreal record, it like it's as a lead single. You know, I I don't know if the record company are like, whoa, this this is not this is not a shining happy people or a man <laughs> on the moon or a sidewinder. This is a dark record that yeah, and and oh, it's so weighty and the lyrical content on that album. I don't know what was going on in in, in with Michael Stipe at that point, but yeah, it's a it's a pretty hefty heavy record that. It is, yeah. He talks about that why he chose to write. A lot of it is, it's like a, it's a record of of death and loss and all sorts of things. Um, I think he he cites it to do with what was going on in America politically, and there was the AIDS epidemic. There was George Bush, you know, all of that kind of frightening Reagan, all of that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think, I think, I think. Uh, out of time, sold ten million or something. I think the record label like just go and do what you do because yeah. people are buying it so yeah so i've had me 60 seconds and i've just gone off on a spiral there because you was you was referencing young kids in um nirvana gnr and uh, metallica t-shirts when they pick up a guitar sorry i'll just no it's gonna happen when you mention bands like that i'm gonna go over excited <laughs> I, I think you did well to keep it to that Stu. um jp i just want to touch on something you said um uh, on a, a previous round is you didn't you didn't think you know you, you just made the most of it with Nizlopi or yeah. you didn't think it was going to be a spearhead like maybe because I think I think that's a better way to look at it no matter what artistic pursuit is just enjoy it for how long that that exists for because sort of like that level of fame is often just it's quite transient and lucky and you mm. know you, obviously it requires quality and I think Nizlopi had that um, but this kind of ties into even though that 
you know, that that isn't what's currently going on now. It was quite inspiring. There is a, a legacy there because, I mean, even people like Ed Sheeran, I think they, they was Ed, he toured with you. Was he like a guitar tech for you, like back in the day or something like that? Or Yeah, we always felt, because I was terrible at school. So um, <laughs> I just wanted to play, at the time, electric bass. And, um, and that's all I did. I just would skip school and just ride around playing electric bass. I don't know how I rode, rode and bike and play bass, but I seem to have done it. Um, but um, so we, uh, we ran our own label. We were independent band. And we just thought it was really important to have uh, work experience students. So they spent a week in the office doing the really boring stuff that musicians have to do nowadays, you know, basically admin. And, uh, and then they get a week on the road in a kind of very non-glamorous back of van gig. And Ed was one of those where he, he came and helped with the guitar tech stuff, selling some merch, that sort of thing really hung out very young, loved the band and just wanted to know, you know, like old school, really, like what chord is that? How does that go? Why did you do that? And and and, you, and it, it's good for us because you we were like, oh, I don't know, <laughs> no idea. I just woke up and went, oh, that, that sounds good. And um, yeah, so it, yeah, he he watched Luke, especially Luke's performance. It was very good at going into the crowd and singing acoustically. And Ed does a lot of that. Um, so yeah, it definitely it has a legacy. In in the it's you know like in the same sense that Van Morrison or Tom Waits or whoever has influenced me or you know music is beautiful like that isn't it like you know, you can just... <clears throat> and he 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 definitely influenced uh, sorry you definitely influenced him to the point where I, I remember listening to Ed on Desert Island Discs maybe a couple of years ago and he chose one of your tracks yeah uh, and. And he, you know, quite openly said, you might sort of think this sounds quite a lot like <laughs> what I do. <clears throat> and I, and, and you know, I hadn't heard that track. And I was like, and my wife's a massive Ed Sheeran fan. And I was like, are you hearing this? <laughs> uh, it, it really does like <clears throat> sound like what, what, what Ed was doing, which I guess it's lovely, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, totally. And I actually did some recording with him when he was doing his EPs, so before his major first record success a lot of those songs were on eps so he he was gigging really hard and he paid me and i was like you don't have to pay me it feels really awkward but um yeah he he was really keen to pay everybody and um yeah he's what was my point i rambled but yeah it's, it's, so in that in that sense at one point we were playing together so it was very very misloppy um, but yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, I, th I, I think, yeah, we're definitely an influence. And a lot of people have said, oh, do you, you know, kind of the negatives, don't you get upset that he's sort of, that people sort of accuse him of ripping off our sound. And it's like, well, we're not doing it. <laughs> yeah. and, and you could, I mean, as a double bass player, there's a bass player called Danny Thompson and I, he influences me loads. So yeah. You know, and but it's it, but the fact that he name checks us and it's just yeah, it's Absolutely. great. He's always embraced that, and you know, like you say, artistically, it's kind of a everything feeds onto each other. And I think if you're not trying to be pretentious and and like ignore that, then then it's it's all well and good. And it's uh, yeah, you can hear that. It's it's really cool to hear. And and Ed's actually contributed to your your marathon run, right? Because Molly was like, oh my god, Ed's <laughs> just giving you a couple of quid as well. He has, yeah. He uh, he gave he sponsored me ten grand. 
<laughs> just a pile on the pressure. Incredible. Well, you better better get a new time on Strava then, JB. Is that how he's going to take it back? That's incredible, man. That's that's a that's a because that's been. I think that's hit some of the news outlets, hasn't it? So it's been written about in a few of the the, the, the papers now. Guardian, I think, might have mentioned it, and a, a few others. Independent, the Times. Yeah, I got a picture of my mum in the Times. That's just hilarious. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure what she would have thought about that. She's <laughs> quite a private lady. Well, JP, honestly, that 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 taught, that chewed me up. It's it's quite a sen- it's quite a a sensitive thing for me. And even seeing that picture of you and your mum, I was like, I couldn't look at it for too long. I get to I get a bit emotively linked to it. Um, and I just any time Molly would tell me about what what you've been doing over the last few years and how that sort of like it's a it's like a slow gradient into I guess what you then decide into that you were going to do it maybe full-time as a carer? Did, how, did that, how did that journey start for you and, and your mum's uh, when, she, when she got diagnosed? Um, originally, she was. I was actually on, I just finished a tour with Nizalopi and I was on stage and I got a phone call from my sister to say something very wrong with your mum. And, uh, and this was about seven years ago, around Christmas. And I said, I'll put her on the phone. I was literally just on the way up onto a stage. And... Um, and she handed the phone to my mum. My mum had no idea who I was, what was going on. And I was like, oh, my God, I've got to go. So um, and she, my mum wouldn't accept any help. So I had to pack down, drive from London to the Midlands. And um, she'd. it turned out she had all sorts of things had gone wrong. And she'd perforated her bowel. And so she had sepsis. And um, if I hadn't come home, she would listen to me for some reason and... Uh, I managed to get her into hospital and then, and she wasn't supposed to survive. And she did. She's a fierce Irish woman. You don't cross her. She's from Dublin. And she just, you know, I remember in the ICU, she was, when she started to come to, pulling at the tubes. And it was, we, me and my brother were having to hold her down because she was just like, I want out of here. It's like, no, 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 no. Um, and really that kickstarted something, I think that was probably bubbling underneath, which was the dementia. And I moved home to do the physical care for six months. And then things were just not right, you know, like unusually not right. It wasn't that she was forgetful. It was like she'd look at a clock and the clock was this abstract thing. And I was like, well, that's not, is that memory? Or she just doesn't understand the concept of time anymore. So on earth. And once, once I'd got a diagnosis, I suppose really... I mean, my sister moved back in for a while. I, I guess I guess maybe three or four years ago, I came back home. There was sort of a relationship breakup for me. So I came back home and I realised then she needed help. And we tried the carer's route. And, you know, some of them mean really well. Some of them are good. Yeah. The training is rubbish. The pay yeah. is horrific. Yeah. And so we had a lot of bad carers and I was just like, I can't do this to my mum. So I was, I was like, I'm a freelance musician. I can make it work, do both. So I did that for a while. And then about two years ago, it was too much to do both. So I became basically a full-time carer. So, yeah. It's, it's really, um, it's, that's a tough decision, JP. And it's, um, I, I, you know, because I'm not there and I don't know if I'll go be a full-time carer for my mum. I, I don't know if I'll make that decision um, because kind of my dad and mum felt ill literally in the same month got diagnosis different ones and then I ended up starting to get a, literally someone in just to make sure when I wasn't there that they would take their medication on time mm. that's really 
all the care needs started as. And no matter how many alarms I put in the house, I couldn't remind my parents to take it. I could literally physically phone them and say, okay, take your meds now. And they'd be like, yeah, yeah, cool, hang up. And in between them, mm. they wouldn't always take it. And like with, uh, say, Parkinson's, which is what my dad started with, you've got to get, you've got to be regular with those dosages or else it sort of like plays. So I started like that with the, um, with assisted help at home. And actually that's been, that I was so lucky with the person that we had that their responsibilities have just increased, which, which has afforded me to not make us, I'm constantly having to risk manage at home and decide like, is, is it, what, what's the next step here? But I don't mm. know if I, I'll, I will um, take on like do it full time myself. So, so for you to have um, to do that and the, the sacrifices it makes, um, yeah, it's just it's quite overwhelming. And uh, you know, just well done for that because it, it it can be. I think I said this to you on message over. It's quite bittersweet. It can be rewarding, and you get a, almost a, a deeper, more like a, I don't know if it's a deeper. There's a different kind of love that you form and a, and a protection I have for my mum and dad and um, and just more vulnerable people in general. But it's also tough, man. It, it can be quite like sad. Like even I'm quite an optimistic person, but there are some days where I just have to walk out the front door just for a second because my mum unintentionally is like the perfect wind up master. She knows exactly how like to wind you up because she's got no memory. So like every like 30 seconds, it's the same conversation mm. driving you down the same pathways. And there's certain days where I've just got to like walk out. That- Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply house yeah um, yeah i hear that god yeah yeah the, the thing is what's interesting enough sometimes because i'm i was able to make the decision to stay at home mm. some people feel almost like by doing that it's a judgment on them maybe not doing that or them putting parents into homes but there were definitely i'm going to be honest I, I, there were definitely times where i thought is this the right decision for her it wasn't really so much about me it was just like and if I could have found the right 
care home with the right lovely people and I thought that the care would have been better because I obviously had to learn to feed her to wash it you know those things I had to learn on the job whereas people are trained if they're trained well they know how to do those things so um so yeah there were definitely times and then I you know my work I was I was there was just before the pandemic I was almost in one of Robert Plant's bands I went to see them and um, we had a chat about maybe playing together and that's one of those things we were like oh no that's that it's not possible to do the care and be in a big you know band like that um and then it was just really fortunate I didn't have to make any of those decisions because then there was a pandemic so you know <laughs> thank god if we wouldn't have been able to see her that's the you know I can't imagine what it's like for people who spent the last you know year or so really not being able to communicate or see their I mean we tried zoom there's four kids four of us we tried zoom because we were shielding and you know my mum would just get up and wander off when she was able to get up and wander off you know and then she'd just get very angry (laughs) the noise that zoom makes so yeah yes it's tough I mean my brother's wife um her mum's in a care home and, and that was the, an absolute nightmare for her to trying to see her mother who's got vascular dementia. And um, yeah, it's been an, it's been a real nightmare for her. So I, I really count my blessings, like getting, getting to have my mum stay at home for as long as possible and be able to just watch her out in the garden, talking to the Robins is just, that's what it's, that's what it's about at the moment. And long, long may that continue. Um Yes. Shall we? Shall we have a, uh, a a switch of conversation? Shall we get your third gig, your number three in there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, this festival doesn't run anymore. I, I, well, I love it's a local festival called Fe- the Phoenix Festival. It was in Stratford, um, and there was a band called Lamb, um, oh. an electronic dancey drum and bass band. And I saw them, and I was like, Oh my god, that. There was a guy playing this weird looking upright tall thing with four strings. And I was like, I want to play that. That's really cool. And um, yeah, just blew my mind. The energy, it was like, it was really, it was like tribal. <laughs> um, really cool. I mean, obviously everybody was off their faces on various things, <laughs> but the energy was, I mean, I wasn't, but it was just, you were washed along with just this euphoric they were just amazing. And it was around the time, I think, of their first records. They had the Gorecki, I think it was called, their big single, and all those strings. Oh, my God. Amazing. Great gig. Lamb were great, yeah. <clears throat> mm. He actually taught me double bass, weirdly. I ended up in Manchester studying jazz. And, um, uh, yeah, I, I, he, was my, he was my instrument teacher. I was like, you're the guy from Lamb. And he was, he was the best teacher in the world on a million and one levels he sort of prepared me for what it's like when you you know when you get to bigger stages and all that sort of stuff and so the pros and cons of it all really so yeah useful useful man lovely man john thorne listening to that live music drum and bass thing i remember i used to put on gigs and there was a band called analog which were kind of like a live drum and bass setup and i put them on and that was just such a buzz to watch those guys just perform yeah, yeah. It was really good. Before, uh, what's that big one? What's the big band called now? That Rudimental. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah, Analog were amazing to watch for, for those sort of reasons. Mm, there was a few, wasn't there? It was like Red Snapper. Do you remember them? Oh, they yeah, were, Red Snapper yeah. were wicked, yeah. Ali Fiend and Double Bass. Yeah, they were awesome. I saw them a, a number of times. Incredibly loud, though. <laughs> Didn't um, 
didn't when they played live. Didn't Ronnie Size have double bass player? He did. Yeah, Ronnie Size represent. Yeah, yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah. Every 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 time I turned up at a gig for a while, they were like, "Can you play?" Yes, Brown playing for that. Which is great. It's better than the Jaws theme, which is often. I mean, just touching on on Lamb a little bit more. Like, I mean, Gorecki is a ridiculously incredible record, isn't it? And it just builds and builds and builds. And I've, I've not seen them live. And the same, I think, maybe a couple of albums later. That, that it was almost a similar kind of pace to Gorecki with their single Gabriel. I don't know if you, you're familiar yeah, yeah, with that. Yeah. Was, fucking hell, what a record! Mm. And shout out to the Phoenix Festival. Yeah. Uh, why did that disappear? I, I, do you know what? One of the the Wonder Stuff played their last ever gig at um, the Phoenix Festival before countless uh, comebacks. But all I remember was, was staying up and, and, and it was on Channel 4 or something like that. And it was like, and I think, I think Faith No More played Phoenix as they well. They did, they did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and, and all I remember is Miles Hunt, um, who was famously, you know, quite a, a confident and, and by his own admission, gobshite. Uh, and and they finished, and and obviously there's that kind of legendary quote uh, from from Lydon, "Ever felt like you've been cheated?" Uh, as he as he walks off stage, Miles Hunt just finished the last chord of the last song and just went, "Ever felt like you've been treated?" And just walked off, and I just thought, "That's <laughs> glorious! What a way to wind your band down!" <laughs> God, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I don't know what I think Phoenix. I don't know, because it was Longmaster, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, there was some. There was obviously some sort of local politics going on. There, there was. There's a big sort of dance festival that happens there, I believe, like a rave, but a legal one. Um, but I saw Jamaricoy around the whole sort of acid jazz funk thing that was going on then. Um, Back when it was good. I loved that first record, Emergency on Planet Earth, and uh, even Space Cowboy was pretty decent. And then kind of broke my heart because I started seeing like him driving around in Ferraris, and I was like, mm. "Hold on, what was you? You was just singing about the complete opposite of that." Well, it was an emergency on Planet Earth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was only an emergency because he couldn't afford the twelve Ferrari, <laughs> uh, that, and that can feel like an emergency. Yeah, I love that bass player, Stuart Zender. In fact, it was the year they, they released. Oh God! Oh, it was the album after those two amazing ones. Traveling without moving. Was it yeah. Traveling without moving? Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah, but they they played a lot of the first and second records, and it still had the great. The the band was you know like a Stevie Wonder yeah, kind of band. It's just incredible. Um, they were great. He came out on a like some sort of weird motorbike. He drove a motorbike on stage. It's like okay, that's that's, that's an entrance. You don't <laughs> want to get that wrong. <laughs> but, yeah. Number two, number two, weirdly, sort of madly removed and linked to Ronnie Size. I went to see Ronnie Size at an amazing venue in Manchester called the Academy Two, um, and yeah. I saw them doing their thing. It was incredible. I think the next week I went to see a completely different gig, which is my number two, which is Gillian Welsh and David Rawlins. Uh, just the two of them, kind of country singer songwriter. She's got a devastating voice. And it was, it was probably one of the best sounding gigs I've ever been to. And they, they didn't plug in. They were all mic'd up. And, you know, this is like a 2,000, 3,000 sort wow. of. It was like, it was incredible. And because they were so, it was so intimate, the audience was so quiet. It was 
very, it was it was incredible. It was just the guitar sound. He plays this beautiful American acoustic guitar, and it just honestly, his solos are so weird as well. They sort of go off kilter and. Yeah, just such a beautiful gig. And it proved to me that you could still do the intimate thing on a much bigger scale. Um, and and it really worked. It was a very powerful gig, very moving and a very quiet audience. <laughs> Something you get used to a uh, spoken word. When we used to do the spoken word circuit, I don't know when that was, mid 2000s. And, you know, when you used to go to the hardcore gigs, even if they were quite large, you mm. could just hear a pin drop in them. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's quite nice when you've got a crowd like that and you don't have, like, the drunk drunkards at the back just talking over everyone. It's depressing. Yeah. But, um, yeah. One of my, I guess one of my most inspiring ones, just to drop, <laughs> drop one in there, was um, Saul Williams. Me and Pip went to see Saul Williams play, and that was the same like at the end of his the gig and i can't remember what uh, record he was releasing at the time it was the one that had black stacy on there it was, that's just a, a an absolute banger and um he then did a 15 minute like just off the top of his dome like recital of spoken word and the, the room was just absolutely dead silent and it was just incredible i remember just looking at pip and thinking he's still talking he's like 15 minutes on and he's still like like doing this spoken word piece that was just absolutely amazing and uh, that was just before sort of pip was really forming up his sort of like game plan for what he wanted to sort of do and like being inspired by people like him and sage francis who'd come on with just like a cassette player basically and yeah wonderful wonderful stuff yeah. No, it's really weird. Uh, I don't know if you'll believe me, but I was just, I was looking at that and I was thinking of Saul Williams. Oh, really? <laughs> nuts because um, it didn't make my top five, but I we played Austin, Texas, um, one of the South by Southwest things, and Saul Williams did a gig there. And we were just like, I don't care. We have got to get to this gig. So we turned up and Saul Williams <laughs> started gig on his own, dressed as a Zulu warrior. And I, I fuck, uh, fuck your arm from Texas or something on his t-shirt. It was just, I, he was unbelievable. And I can't believe it's not on my list. It was, yeah. Oh my God. There's, there's very few ta more talented people that I've ever seen on a stage, I guess, than Saul. I think, yeah, he's a bit of a powerhouse really creatively. It's overwhelming really. I, I look at him and just think, bloody hell, how, how, how talented and passionate a person he is. So yeah, yeah I'd have loved to have seen that. Definitely. Yeah, that, that first record was American. Oh God! It was like it produced by Rick Rubin or something. It was like awesome. Yeah, I forget. The first song I heard him on was a, off a, of a Ninja Tune record. Um, I want to rhyme on tracks, but it's been so long. Weirdly, you know, when you just don't you forget and you don't listen to an artist for for like five six years. I, I haven't listened to a Saul Williams record for so long, so I might have to bump that soon. I bought one that Trent Reznor and him did, which was really quite off the wall. <laughs> I was quite like, I don't know how to get into this record. But, uh, he's an interesting guy to follow on Twitter, or he used to be anyway. So, yeah. One of the, th the things that you you was talking about um, about sort of like acoustic acts and that kind of like they, you said they weren't even plugged in; they were just mic'd up. I find that like something that I wouldn't even sort of consider as a uh, as a gig goer and, and i think it's really interesting as a musician that you you know that that's that's a fundamental there you know for, for a large large audience they've done that and like and and does that 
make it? I mean, explain how that will be would have been, why that was different from had they have like plugged their their guitar and their their bass in rather than it just be mic'd. It's a good question. I mean, I think I think the audience didn't realise, like you said, they wouldn't have realised that. A lot of them wouldn't have. They would have just their behaviour was influenced by it though, because the sound was was quieter. It picked up all the little scrapes and niggles. And then when he would turn to her or she would turn to him, you could pretty much hear what they were saying to each other. Um, And people wanted that. They were like, this is music that feels like it's actually happening in front of you. Even though, you know, big electronic bands, it's still happening in front of you. There's just, it feels very real. I mean, it is very real. Um, Every mistake, there's no editing. And the sound is just... It's just yeah. It's 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 it sounds like they are standing just in front of you playing basically. Um, you know that horrible DI stuff going on. It's like this is what the guitar sounds like today. My voice is at this quality today, yeah. and that's kind of what live music should be about. Not to be purist, but it should just be about that moment. And if you're having a bad day, that should be reflected in your <laughs> in your gig. Yeah, hundred percent. But you know, uh, <clears throat> you, you do find a lot of artists saying if they're having a bad day, they can have a great gig. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I saw Ray Montagna <laughs> once, and he was having a bad day, and he just let everyone know he was having a bad day. But the way he sang the songs was incredible. But he was yeah. he was pissed off. <laughs> It was really pissed off. His banter was kind of funny because it was so negative, but yeah. yeah. And one of the other things that, you know, as someone who's 48 now and, and like artists that I grew up listening to uh, are, are, are now doing gigs at, at you know, uh, um, the sort of South Bank Centre now, and I'm going to watch acoustic performances from, you know, Grant Lee Phillips and, you know, Evan Dando and, and people that I grew up one of the things that is the big thing, irrelevant of whether they're mic'd up, DI'd or whatever, I'm getting to sit down when I watch them. That weirded me out. <laughs> and it's like, hang on a minute. Last time I was in front of Evan Dando with a microphone, I probably would have had a long hair, a pair of shorts, and I was throwing myself all over the place. Now, now I've had a coffee and I'm <laughs> sitting down. This is strange. <laughs> There's a stair lift to help you up onto the stage and a stair lift to help you down, and that's the equivalent of stage diving. <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. And what was what was weird was I think in the sort of time between seeing Lemonheads and Evan Dando, I think he, you know, he'd had huge battles with like some seriously hard drugs and that. He still looked ten years younger than me. Uh, still looked incredible <laughs> so what we can learn from that is in fact the drugs work <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Want to have them. exactly Richard Ashcroft you got it wrong mate when, when you were uh, talking Stu about um, bands there at the Embankment I, I was so gutted because we were talking about drum and bass uh, live performances Goldie did Timeless with a, a live orchestra over that way and um, there's songs there's tunes like Sea of Tears that he did that have got a double bass on that are just they're so good. I was gutted. I missed it. I, I can't remember the reason for it. But yeah, I'd, I'd love to have gone and check them out. I went to Wolverhampton Civic Hall. It was my first, what I'd call an all-nighter gig. And yeah. Goldie was, Goldie and Metalheads, I think it was, they were headlining. It was their show. Epic. And I don't know why. I mean, clearly the venue must have closed at some point. But <laughs> I didn't get home. I didn't get home until definitely one or two in the afternoon. The next <laughs> <time>. um, <laughs> That's great. It was an amazing, it was the full 
full thing. I think there were lots of vocalists, more more vocalists than strings, but my God, that was a good gig. That was also, I should have made the list. Damn, five is difficult. When, when you said about, uh, what was it, Jamiroquai coming on stage on a, a motorbike, you said there's a variety of ways it could go wrong. Um, we were the Civic, Wolver- Wolverhampton Civic, uh, me and Pip watching Head Planet Earth, which was like a new metal band. And uh, and uh, the DJ came on. DJ, I want to say Warhead, but it, it isn't. He came on on a skateboard. And he just oh. <laughs> straight unstacked it. Like, <laughs> like his, his whole body was like the, the reverse direction in the air. And uh, he just, he just, but you know what? It looked absolutely fine. He completely styled it. But yeah, it looked super painful. I was thinking, yeah, I don't think a stage is, is built for a skateboard, really. Uh, it's always that thing where drama, the stage is like this morning, he falls off the back of the stage, and you know, and you know, as a musician, that's gonna hurt like his pride is damaged but his body is going you fucking are. yeah well, I, I well, i've only fallen off one stage and not very publicly so that's all right i'm uh I, i'm also a big fan of watching um boxers that make really flamboyant walks to the ring and then try and jump the ropes but get their foot caught on the top rope <laughs> that's a spectacular end especially because you're about to have a fight and yeah. you want to look as tough as you can <laughs> and you just click your toe and just roll into the ring that's always a glorious entrance foul <laughs> holding <laughs> your foot going oh, no, oh, no. <laughs> really hurt. <laughs> really hurt. you don't understand <laughs> really. i mean um, not that i want to get beaten up by any boxes <laughs> <laughs> okay so we're at the top spot aren't we Mm. that was kind of difficult but i think he's tom waits at the apollo in 2004 this real gone tour and he makes it just because a lot of legends i've just never seen because they've been dead many many years or they're they're not very good now or that sort of thing but before you get on to that can i just ask you about that about legends and 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 some of them aren't very good now. Will you go and watch them to tick the box? Uh, no. Having having done it a few times, no. Give us some, give us some names. Uh, John Martin. Um, he did the Solid Air album. It was it was horrific. Uh, Va- every Van Morrison gig I've gone to, thinking it's going to be oh shit. You know, those sort of things where you're like, this record really means, I have to say, controversially, bless him, Paul Simon, um, you know, Graceland, I sadly lost my dad when he was when, when I was 15. And Graceland was the record that, I mean, just, yeah, it means a lot to me. But when I saw him at Glastonbury, I was just like, man, the guitarist is in that key. You're in another key. You should stop now. <laughs> And he has stopped now. I don't think because of me. Um, yeah, I think it can really damage your. Yeah, yeah. Certainly, if they're kind of grumpy, I think if their personality isn't like all love and warmth, then you're like. Oh. I mean, you've chose Paul Simon and Van Morrison. I think it's quite well documented. They're not jolly chaps. <laughs> no, they're not. They're not really not. And you kind of wonder why. <laughs> Why? If if you you know if I if I'd recorded I don't know Astra Weeks and Graceland or whatever I think I'd be pretty happy. I think he recorded Astra Weeks in like three days. Yeah, yeah, yes, I yeah. Mean, that's insane, right? I mean, that's arguably one of the greatest records ever made. In my humble 
Yeah. I, I, um, although the first time I saw Van Morrison, he bollocked um, his bass player um, for a mistake on, on, on stage. stage. On stage. And as a bass player, I think it was one of the Dankwoods, I think. Anyway, an amazing double bass player. It wasn't his fault. It was Van Morrison's fault. And uh, he just humiliated this guy on stage. And I was just thinking, oh, I don't like you at all. And then what, what makes me happy is, and it's awful, you shouldn't make me happy, but after weeks, he doesn't make any money from that record. Really? Yeah, apparently it didn't sell at first. So I think uh, like a Buddhist monastery or something get it, some sort of, yeah. So all, Amazing. I think it's why he re-recorded it terribly um, much later. So, um, ah. yeah, so that makes me happy. I did not know that. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. I saw I saw Brian Wilson. If I had to throw one in, I I went and watched Brian Wilson do Pet Sands maybe five years ago, um, in in South End, and I'm a I'm a huge Beach Boys fan, and I was unsure what I was going to get, mm. but it was absolutely amazing. His voice was he's quite fractured now, um, but Al Jardine was 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 there with him, and Al Jardine's son is in the band as well now, I believe. Uh, and I can't tell you how intimate it was when the lights went down halfway through and it was just him at piano doing God Only Knows and it was like, this is a moment right here. <laughs> no one, no, I mean, everyone there was, was, I guess, my age and older. There weren't a phone out. No one was filming it. Everybody was just, I don't want anything to distract me from what's going on right now. And that was one of the most... In, inspiring and beautiful gigs I've ever I've ever experienced. I just wanted to throw that one in. Uh, oh, that's cause... amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which, what's your number one, JP? Can I ask that one? No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so it was Tom Waits' uh, Apollo, Hammersmith Apollo, 2004. It was actually a huge... I'm a huge Tom Waits fan. Um, and Ms. Loppy signed a publishing deal with Warner... Um, and we jokingly, because it was impossible to get tickets, like you just couldn't get them. So we jokingly made it a condition of our contract. We wrote the contract for our publishing deal because we, why not? And, um, and yeah, and we made it a condition and we were sort of joking because, you know, you say those sort of things. Anyway, Warner really was shitting it because it was coming up to this gig and they hadn't secured his tickets. And um, yeah, and they did. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I I do believe Tom Waits was quite angry about the you know the fact that a lot of people, I think, did similar things, and he's just like, no, you should. Everybody has should have equal opportunity to get to this gig, and I totally agree. But I thoroughly enjoyed the gig, and and mainly because he did did some of the really mad stuff, some of the new stuff, and then. Out comes the piano, and he does all these jazz, you know, Leonard Cohen-esque ballads, and you're like, oh, my God, i got to just watch that for hours. He was incredible, and he really is a performer. Like, it's, he doesn't just play the songs. He embodies each one, and it's, it's, it's theatre, basically, it's, and it's amazing. Yeah, incredible, amazing gig. And I saw Tom York there. It's that, that kind of gig where you turn around and, like, 
it's lots of musicians who are very popular sitting there like fans because they are fans of music because it's where they're musicians and um yeah so yeah it was it was quite a surreal evening but he was he was incredible definitely my gig yeah i'm probably on and off probably the artists i've listened to most weirdly ever <laughs> so was there what what were the almost made it's what's your uh, honorable mentions what what just got eked out of the five oh good question i mean obviously the Saul williams was totally forgotten from my brain um things like like more ab- abstract i was thinking because i studied jazz music and i love jazz music it's an israeli jazz double bassist called aveshi cohen um and he plays a little bit like me where we get up on stage and we're like could die tomorrow you know every note a bit like lamb john thorne where they get up and they just own the stage it's like i don't care if you're laughing at me this is what i'm doing and i love it he's amazing for that um actually steve earl at glastonbury um acoustic I just happened to wander in and he walked on stage, just him and the acoustic guitar. And I was like, what's this going to be like? You know, man, man's had quite the life. Oh my God. It was, it was mesmerizing. He was just with an acoustic guitar voice. I think his wife came on and sang one of his wives at some point came on and sang a, a few songs with him, but he could hold the audience. You know, he, I think people were slightly scared to leave. He has that personality where he gets up on stage and it's like, I don't play these songs. If you talk, I'll come down there and sort you out. <laughs> and if you leave, I will say, like in America, he's followed around by the Hells Angels, love him. So they follow around his tour bus, apparently. And so, yeah. So, you know, yeah, he was just, he, yeah. So those, those kind of stick in my mind, the gigs I didn't make the list for some mad reason. And now I'm regretting that Metallica did. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it was a very worthy number one as well with Tom Waits. Uh, JP, and I guess um, that brings us nicely towards the end of the the podcast. I, I'd like to find out where can people, if people want to donate to your to your charity for this uh, the virtual run uh, for Martin Hospice, how how can they do that, buddy? Uh, if they go to martinhospice.org forward slash JP, we'll get you there. Um, and Martin is M Y T O N, and Hospice is spelled like hospice, which I'll probably spell wrong. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll also put that in the bio. For, the, uh-huh. uh, for this episode so for, for those that are listening um, head over there click that link and, uh, and and support JP thank you I mean you don't have to like just give it to my cause just give it to my own hospice you know it's not I, I'm, I'm like 900% over my target anyway <laughs> <laughs> thanks Ed <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly Cheers. keep an eye on him he's going to be big i'm telling yeah, you yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, totally. yeah. i mean that is the that is that is uh, genuinely like when i sent him my the message i sent him an email i thought i just had no concept of what it must be like to be that famous and then once i'd sent it i was like that was slightly ridiculous because there's no way somebody as big as that can you know do it share something it's not like he sits at home doing his own tweets. <laughs> so, yeah. It would have been weird if he would have just sent a tenor in, wouldn't it? Yeah. I know. <laughs> Can you imagine the press, though, out of that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> or, or just, I mean, that, the thing is, it's because I wasn't asking him for money, so that's the thing. So, like, yeah, yeah. Imagine if he just gave a tenor. 
it's it's weird i think i did a local radio show and one of the presenters said but you know he could have given more because he's worth this much money and i was like man that is not the point yeah yeah yeah, that's just it's so crazy yeah i mean i could probably give more than i do you know probably orcas absolutely absolutely jp it's been a real pleasure Uh, thanks so much for your time man best of luck with the marathon uh and and you, you is it 20k tomorrow uh 20 miles tomorrow 20 miles tomorrow all right well best of luck with that <laughs> thanks <laughs> and yeah thank you so much thanks, thanks, Steve. thanks. thanks Chris. real pleasure thank you it's a drunken soiree in the within chris and stew present our core listing the podcast